This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In this episode, I visit with James Green, the director at Risk Advisory Services at SAI Global. James returns to talk about risk management in eight, eight months into the coronavirus health crisis and how business continuity has changed during this time frame. We conclude by looking at where companies need to be going into 2021. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm extraordinarily pleased to have uh, James Green back. James is the, the Director of Risk Advisory Services at SAI Global. James, first of all, welcome back. Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much for having me back. So I had James on the podcast back in June, and at the end of the podcast, I asked him if, uh, as we moved into the next several phase or phases of the coronavirus health crisis, if I might be able to visit with him again, and he agreed. So I've uh, hornswoggled him on to coming back. We're recording this in early November, uh, so obviously a lot going on. James, I was wondering if I might be able to start out with uh, what are two or three, some of the top questions you're getting uh, now about business continuity or uh, change management or, or really any of those topics as opposed to the questions you were getting earlier in the pandemic? Yeah, Tom, it's so interesting, right? Because when you and I spoke in June, it was only a few months in, and I put that in quotes, right? Because for most of us in the United States, things had just started to spin up in March and a lot of companies just thought, you know, this was going to be a two or three month thing. So what's really changed and what clients are talking to us about, the first big thing is companies are now realizing this is not going away anytime soon, right? COVID-19 is not going away anytime soon. You have Australia just came out of lockdown for the second time. Right, You have parts of Europe, you have France, you have England going back into lockdown for the second time. And a lot of companies are, are really struggling with, are people in general going to tolerate multiple lockdowns? Right, The last time we had something like this, we all, everyone talks about the 1918 pandemic. It was the last time it was a global pandemic. But what's really interesting for me is you had three waves. And in the United States, you had three different types of lockdowns with various requirements and same things that we have now with social distancing and mask and all these things. And people became less and less accepting of that every single time. So companies are really trying to struggle, balance, you know, okay, this is this second and third wave, the new normal, and how do we balance that against the needs of our 
our customers, our stakeholders, and how do our employees feel about that? So a lot of emphasis now I'm seeing shifted to the employee base, not just from a, you know, in June when you and I talked, it was a tactical, how do we get our employees to work from home or return to work or essential? Now we're seeing a lot more strategic conversations as companies realize that they may be dealing with this for another six, eight months or so. I would say six to eight months may be optimistic. Yes, Uh, absolutely. I really like that, that the last point you articulated, which is the strategic conversations uh, in uh, March, April, May, June, it was, how do we make payroll? How do we get uh, computer and IT services to people at homes? But I think pe- uh, you're absolutely right. People are realizing that um, we may have to change uh, the way we think through how we do work. So, for instance, in the compliance world, it really was first uh, working from home, and how do you keep those employees engaged or at least thinking about compliance? Well, now the question is, um, are our internal controls robust enough to prevent someone from either uh, defrauding the company or in the corruption world, creating a pot of money that could be used to pay a bribe? Uh, because uh, typically bribes were hidden in the past and gifts travel and entertainment or charitable donations or some other marketing expense. And those expenses may no longer be available. So compliance practitioners are struggling with what control, first of all, how can someone defraud the company? And then second, how do we put a control in place to detect or prevent that? Is that something you were seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So exactly to your point, historically in a lot of organizations, T&E has been an area where uh, people who want to defraud the company can do so at low levels rather easily, right? Uh, and you saw last week, Amazon stated that by not traveling this year, they saved over a billion dollars in expenses. So to your point, if I'm an inside threat actor, if I'm looking to defraud the company and my usual mechanisms, t and have been taken away, And because that's such a high-risk area, that's where we have so many controls and so much compliance oversight. Are companies thinking about other ways that I might defraud the company? And one we're seeing a lot of is, you know, bogus third-party vendors, right? So uh, my, let's say my fake employer, I have authority and signing rights there, and I'm onboarding Uh, Tom Fox Inc. as a vendor. And you're seeing companies rapidly onboard vendors now in the the safety space, in the business continuity space, in the the, uh, environmental health and safety space, in especially ransomware, cybersecurity space. Are these companies, are you fully vetting these vendors? Because, you know, we really expect as you said, as that T&E goes away and that's where there's a lot of controls, people always look either internally or externally, where are there a lack of controls? And so, yeah, as a compliance professional, we need to shift our focus on where is that, where is that next wave of internal threat coming from? And do we have the controls and oversight in place now to prevent those issues, not just discover them after the fact. 
Another risk that, uh, frankly, got driven home personally to me was my wife works at a major energy company. She got a call from a vendor one day. Hey, could I have your home address? I want to send you something. She got a $50 Uber Eats card. And I said, number one, I used to work at this company, so I think this is over your allowable limit from a vendor. (laughs) But number two, the company had no way of knowing that the vendor had sent the card if she hadn't called in to report it and, and stop it. And so it also dawned on me that there may be an inherent conflict or a new conflict of interest uh, risk that has arisen really completely under the radar of uh, the compliance or risk management group within an organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. You have many employees now who are using, like you said, their home address, their personal phone number, their personal uh, internet connection, maybe their personal laptop. How are you keeping track of things that might be inappropriate, either you know maliciously or, like you said, in the case of your wife, maybe accidentally? We're all trying to get through this situation together, and so how do I pat you on the back when I can't literally do it? To your point, I, maybe I send a gift card, and it's over that allowable limit. Uh, in the past, I've worked in banks. You've worked in very regulated environments, right? All mail comes into the mail room. It's all opened, right? And then dispersed from there. Now we're sending stuff directly to people's homes. Uh, and you have no way of knowing what's going on, either unintentionally or maliciously. If maybe we could turn to business continuity really as a strategic uh, issue now. One of my observations uh, throughout this podcast series and the coronavirus health crisis has been uh, the acceleration of trends that were uh, kind of percolating along in 2018 and 2019. And the uh, business continuity as a strategic uh, risk management tool or strategic planning tool seems to have not only finally been discovered by corporate America, but uh, the speed at which people are moving from uh, disaster uh, recovery to business continuity to business as usual uh, in this new normal seems to really have taken hold. And you you hit upon that a little bit in your opening remarks, but I was wondering, are you having those kinds of strategic conversations with your client base around, uh, let's not plan for COVID-19, let's not plan for the next wave, let's plan for the next thing that we don't know is going to happen and how can we be resilient around that? Yeah, absolutely. So for some organizations, if we go back to the glory days of 2019, right, Tom, and you and I were talking to a board of directors about business continuity or risk, and we're in a blue sky event. These are all hypotheticals. So when you talk to some people, okay, here's the ROI is great. Here's how you reduce risk. That's great. But here's the level of effort. And a lot of organizations said, you know, that level of effort is too high. And now you're in a situation this year where if you don't achieve that level of effort, you lose money or you go out of business. So yeah, now companies have sped through business continuity in a way we've never seen before in order to survive. And we are certainly seeing a lot of organizations where this has served as a wake-up call and we talked to one company last week and they said, wow, you know, most of our revenue comes from back office type functions. And uh, the CEO said to me, we dodged a bullet 
by having everyone be able to work from home. But what about the next thing? We're not going to be so lucky. So yeah, we're seeing a lot of organizations now who realize that business continuity is not just uh, an audit function or telling people what they can't do. It's really about how do we stay in business regardless of what happens next. And look at all that's happened around the world since you and I spoke just in June, right? Either natural disaster-wise or politically or civil unrest. All these things have happened in the last five months. All these other things are going to happen in the next five months. So we're starting to see a lot of organizations realize that having that future forward look about resilience is really a way to, you know, protect the business and to, you know, protect market share. Can you talk about the film industry? Uh, I would love to talk about the film industry. I'm a huge uh, film buff and you are seeing organizations adapt in real time. So on the TV front, Right. I don't know if you I mean, I know you are a college football fan, but if you watch any pro football, I found it interesting this weekend. CBS had all these ads for all their TV shows that are coming out this week. They were all filmed with masks. They were all filmed social distance because they realized, hey, if we have content out there and our competitors don't. Right. We're going to win. Uh, in the film space, you're seeing organizations pivot in real time. I thought what Disney said at their last quarterly um, earnings call was fascinating that, hey, we rely too much on theme park revenue, right? If we create digital content, yes, we would like to distribute it in theaters, but we can distribute it to your home. We can distribute it on our platform, Disney+. Disney Plus. They are recognizing from a business continuity perspective, theme park either makes money or doesn't. Like it's an all or nothing kind of shutdown. So we're seeing a lot of companies quickly pivot. And what'll be interesting is the, uh, the theater chains. Will they survive uh, this long? Like, could you go 12, 14 months with no revenue? Most companies can't. So it'll be interesting to see who emerges theater chain wise on the other side. Probably one of the most prescient lessons I learned in my professional career was to have the ability to see when a door opened and the courage to walk through that open door if for an opportunity. Do you would that analogy hold true in the corporate world or for some of the folks you work with as well in the context of the opportunities that have arisen uh, because of uh, the new normal in the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have seen a lot of companies um, in the private equity side, especially uh, there was an there was an interview with uh, Gene Salata, who's the CEO of Bering Private Equity Asia, that he gave with Goldman Sachs. And I need to stop here and say full disclosure: uh, Baron Private Equity Asia owns SAI Global, so that's not why I'm talking about this. But what I thought was really interesting was he he talked about companies that are not only muddling through COVID nineteen, but thriving are grabbing market share, right? And his firm and a lot of other PE firms are right now using that 
as one of the the things they look at to an invest in a company. Again, if if Tom Fox Inc. is is thriving in COVID, you have a tremendous opportunity to take market share from your competitors who are not. And we've seen that in a lot of industries, the 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 fast food companies that first went to contactless ordering delivery, right? The airlines that first went to middle seats closed or mask required or cleaning, you know, ahead of the industry, those those companies have done better than their competitors and I expect that to continue to happen in the future, if during a regional or global event, you come out ahead, customers remember that they may go to you and they're going to stay with you. In your earlier remarks, you talked about stakeholders. And one of the groups you talked about, obviously, was employees working from home. And there, you just mentioned the second stakeholder, which, of course, is customers. Um, the business roundtable, with their statement on the purpose of a corporation, uh, talked about the multiple stakeholders every organization has. And do you find that businesses are having these types of conversations with some of their other stakeholders? So, for instance, third parties, whether it be on the sales side or the supply chain side, local communities where they may be doing uh, business with, in addition to their customer base and employee base? I think, I think the progressive companies certainly are. Right? Are you doing? Uh, all companies talk to their employees and their customers, but are you doing the bare minimum, or are you actually engaging in meaningful dialogue? And so, yeah, that certainly includes uh, if you have heavy physical presence somewhere, that community. Um, are you working with government? Are you understanding? restrictions of why places are open or closed or why you're essential or not, you know, being a good corporate steward is having all of those stakeholders to me, your customers, your employees, your vendors, your local governments, you've got to have all of those um, at the table when you're making those types of decisions and looking at the future. Are the types of people you had conversations with before COVID-19 in a corporation, has that uh, the, uh, not quality, but really the quantity of uh, people you talk to change? So for instance, are now people like general counsels seeking your your counsel where they may not have before, or someone from my profession for compliance, are they beginning to understand the need to look at business continuity as a risk management function? Yes, I think we've certainly seen over the last few months a lot more people with the chief title in the room, where historically maybe we were speaking to the vice president of risk management or the senior vice president of risk. We are now seeing more conversations with chief executive officer, chief operating officer, general counsel. These discussions have happened uh, at a higher level because companies are seeing the impact of what's happened the last eight months. So, yeah, we're definitely having higher level conversations, and I think we're having more meaningful conversations where companies are really looking for uh, strategic what do we do in 2021 and beyond, you know, those future forward conversations. We're having a lot more of those at a much higher level. 
Perhaps now if we could uh, pivot over to that veiled land called the future. Uh, I used to ask people, uh, unfortunately, naively, where do you think we'll be in Q4? And now it's where do you think we'll be in Q4 in 2021 or perhaps even 2022? What what kinds of conversations generally are you having with client customers or others looking on that go forward basis? Yeah, and that's certainly valid, right? Because most most organizations that are public companies or uh, historically a lot of U.S. companies are looking 90 days out, right? What are we doing next quarter? How are we going to hit our numbers next quarter? What's the market look like next quarter? And now we're seeing companies already plan three, four quarters out. You see a lot of major companies uh, have said, we're working from home through next summer, right? June, July, 2021, you're seeing major industry national and international conferences say we're virtual next year, April, May, June. So we've certainly seen companies think into the next calendar year like never before. And I think part of that is people realize COVID's not going away just because the calendar rolls from December 31st to January 1, right? I'm not a huge stat guy, but just looking at some of the stats recently, Five of the highest days of coronavirus cases in the U.S. this year have occurred in the last 10 days. You have 36 states that have more positive cases than they had last week. So companies are really realizing as we head into cold and flu season in the U.S. and Europe, right, and you add a second wave of a pandemic on top of that, I think we're all going to be maybe emotionally relieved and excited when that calendar rolls to January 1, but it doesn't change the story. So I've never had so many conversations with companies where they're like, where should we really be 12 months from now? Um, so they're, they're planning for, you know, maybe a permanent dispersed workplace. You see a lot of companies selling buildings um, because they just don't want to deal with the, the health and safety issues of return to work. And we're, we're living in this interesting time right now where masks, right, which is a form of PPE, has become a political lightning rod. And if you were the head of compliance or the head of legal for a company, do you want to deal with maybe half of your employee base who view that as a political item and not a PPP, you know, PPE item, you're probably not going to want to deal with that as all. So how do we just maybe not have that discussion ever? And so we're seeing a lot of companies just plan for long-term work from home, permanent work from home. Uh, I think it's really going to create a shift in, in the U.S. workplace and the dynamics that we may be used to being in an office or a cubicle or or, you know, how we collaborate going forward. James, I was very gratified uh, that the conversations you're having are now with people with the, the moniker chief in their title. So I was wondering, is that same level of conversation occurring at the board level? Do boards now understand uh, business continuity is something that they need to provide oversight on as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think historically you've seen a lot of organizations where the maybe the audit committee once a year says to the board, yes, we have business continuity plans. 
And uh, that's been good enough. And now we're seeing boards ask a lot of tough, relevant, and fair questions based on what the C-level is bringing to us and saying, hey, our board is asking not just do we have a plan, but what is our strategy? So, yeah, we're seeing board involvement um, like never before, just like we're seeing that C-level involvement never before. This is kind of... um, For me, this is a poor analogy, but COVID has created an awareness of business continuity outside of the risk space, just like the target breach created an awareness of cybersecurity outside of the information security space, right? For most companies and consumers, the target breach was the first time where they're like, oh, this is why data privacy, data security, cybersecurity matters to everyone. And this pandemic has been a very similar, oh, this is why business continuity risk management matters to all organizations, regardless of size or industry. So yeah, we've seen boards become very active uh, in this space with their company, with directing the C-level on on questions and responses, and we expect that to continue um, for quite some time. Well, James, unfortunately, we are we could probably talk most of the morning, but we're near the end of our time for this episode. Uh, but I was wondering if uh, perhaps in uh, Q1 or Q2 of 2021, I might be able to call upon you to visit with you on where we are at that point in time. Absolutely. I loved uh, that would be great. Well, thanks so much. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. All right. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link and do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the compliance podcast network and it appears tuesday wednesday and thursday of each week thanks again for listening and i hope you'll join me again for another episode This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.